So we're live as soon as you hit record. So. Well, no, yeah, we are live. So just hang on. Let me go live on YouTube. And then we'll be totally live. <laughs> I don't see you yet. They want less characters in the in the uh... in the title. Yeah, yeah, because you can only have ninety nine. So you 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 know might have to just abbreviate it or whatever. All right, I'm just gonna go live right now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Looking forward to tonight's show. It's a really exciting show and an important show uh, because we have uh, these two missing children. Why don't we introduce our guest? Um, It's our pleasure. Uh, He's gone out of his way for us without even really knowing us. That shows you what a true gentleman he is. He's a retired NYPD detective. He's a first uh, 9-11 first responder. He also has a podcast um, of his own, which he has a, a lot of followers, and it's a huge hit. Um, he's here with us tonight. Uh, the, uh, his name is Ron Lacardi, better known as Duty Ron. Yep. Thank and that's you, Mark. The podcast Thank is you. on the Duty Ron. Yes. And yes. I know we haven't met officially, but I'm, I think I like you already because I was checking out your Instagram, and I noticed that you were wearing a Mets jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, diehard Mets fan. My father me too. Me. me too. My father did it to me early on in my, in my childhood. And uh, my kids, who are like 27 and 24, they're like, Dad, why do we got to be Mets fans? <laughs> Welcome to my world, right? Yeah. Same exact thing with me. I raised my kids Mets fans. My son's 24. My, my, my daughter's 21. And they're like, you know, why? Why, why did you do this to us? Um, yeah. But we got, listen, things are looking up right now. We have uh, the new owner, Cohen, and uh, oh, we yeah. just got um, Lindor and Caraco, and there's more big acquisitions on the way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know, me too. We have another guest, um, and he's a retired uh, NYPD also from Computer Crimes, and he's having trouble getting on, uh, logging on right now. So- you, know, you know, here he is. He's in Silicon Valley, and he's a computer crime expert, and he's having problems getting on. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. How does that work? That's know. always the way it is. Every time we have somebody that has like a, an engineer, their own engineer, it, it, the, things always go wrong. Somehow Bill manages to put it together <laughs> by himself up there in the palatial estates. <laughs> hey, uh, while we wait for Mike to come on and before we start talking about this, uh, this case that we asked you to come in and, and um, share with us. Um, are you also a Jets fan too? Uh, no, I'm a Giants fan. That's the weirdness of the whole thing, right? How did that uh, happen? Uh, I'm a Giants fan. So, okay, because I was just at a like I had this um, when the Jets lost to the Rams. I said, man, this is something's not smelling right. And mm-hmm. then today, um, the Jaguars got Nick Saban as their coach, who's coming in with the first round draft pick of uh, of the quarterback now, Trayvon. Um, I forget what his name is, uh, yeah. but anyway. I heard it on the way. Yeah, so it kind of sort of worked out well for them, didn't it? Is that a coincidence? Listen, they've been talking for weeks. The, things are looking up for the Mets and the Jets. When was the last time you heard that? Yeah, well, 
I'm I'm really excited about baseball right now. Michael looks yeah. there. He goes. What's up? All the way from Silicon Valley, Mike Fabozzi has showed up. My God, what's what? I, I thought you would have the best Wi-Fi on Earth, but instead, you know, you're you're fading in and out. Let, let's to, get let's get right into reintro him. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is Mike Fabozzi. He's a retired NYPD detective. He's a computer crimes expert. He actually did one of the first NYPD had one of the first computer crime units in the nation. And Mike was one of its first detectives in that unit. And since that, he's uh, he has an amazing career outside of the police department. He has a company called uh, Net Thunder, and he's the co-founder and he's the chief operating officer. And Mike uh, sort of wrote the book on computer crime. So we're going to ask him some questions relative to this case once we get going. If he ever he just disappeared again. So let's move on. Ron, why don't you introduce the case to the police off the cuff fans? Okay, so yeah, we um, we started talking about this case uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, I had one of my twenty three thousand subscribers. Uh, they always send in, like you know, I have a website, so they send in suggestions for shows. So one of my really good fans uh, sent me a message. You know, you got to get on this. The two missing boys, um, they were uh, reported missing on uh, December twenty first, uh, a little bit before Christmas. So these two boys were reported missing by their um, adopted mother and father. Uh, the kids are three and four years old, and it's Orson West and Orin West. So they're similar in name, Orson and Orin, three years old and four years old. Um, they reported the 21st, and uh, it's caused, like, it's a media frenzy because the, the, the kids went missing under very um, nefarious uh, conditions, like, the stories don't match the thing everything that the parents are talking about don't match people haven't seen them in months neighbors have never seen them so it's it's there's a big big uproar over this and rightfully so these are two little toddlers that just vanished in the middle of the day uh, four o'clock actually four fifteen. so it's a, it's a huge case and um i was honored to have you and irma on and we talked about it and it was a it was a really uh, it was a big hit so um I think, Bill, you have the, this is the interview with the parents. Yeah, I'm trying to just show so we, uh, our fans get an idea of the body language of the adoptive parents. Yeah. So that's the, that's the father on the left. And uh, he is the one who made, you know, actually the news story. He was the one who spoke most of the time. And um, his story just is just not drive, not jiving with a lot of people, including the, the police commissioner and sheriff uh, from uh, Bakersfield and from California city in California. Now, I don't know how far our guest is from there, but um, you know, it's, it's in the desert. So I don't know, maybe he ha has a little better idea of where it is. Well, Mike disappeared again, but one of the things uh, we're talking about is for those that are new to this case, uh, the police did a search warrant on the house. They dug in the backyard. So uh, for you non-police people to get a search warrant, you need what's called probable cause, which right. is a the likelihood that a crime was committed. So it has to be signed by a judge. So they obviously convinced the judge that they needed a search warrant because there's some uh, there's some suspicious circumstances to the disappearance of these two kids. In addition, they dug uh, in the backyard, and we, as uh, not being part of this investigation, were having the um, the, the knowledge that the police have 
there's a lot of things that they have undoubtedly done that we don't know about. And uh, one of the things about California City, California, they had no homicides uh, in the past year. So they're not an experienced police department in regards to investigating homicides. But that doesn't mean they don't have some damn good investigators. I'm sure they do. I got a little bit of intel from some of the viewers. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, how true it is, but they said it's a, um, a, um, a privately funded police department. Now, maybe in some of the more rural areas, they do that. I didn't verify it or check into it, but I, I know that they're a small police department because I looked on their website and there's not like a detective squad. Uh, there's not, you know, there's just like a fingerprinting records division and, there's not a lot of um, resources. Uh, I saw the the chief of the police department who's on this case on a horse. Obviously, he's got to use horse to horseback to go in to do the searches. Um, but it isn't what we're thinking. It is police department wise. It's a smaller smaller police department, and that's why they look to the state and the FBI to come in and help them out because they needed the help. And duty run, they seem to have a lot of help from uh, civilians and what we would call amateur investigators. But sometimes amateur investigators and especially people from the community with tips right. can help out in an investigation that's this large, this vast. And right. any any tips they can get, uh, they appreciate. Yeah. Well, yeah. We have a I've... comment uh, by... Uh... Palmer Violets, and aren't the parents in Florida? Why would the parents leave? See, now, uh, I, it was my understanding that um, the police, they were cooperating with the police, and I wouldn't think that they would authorize them to now leave California and shoot all the way over to the East Coast. So, I don't know, that hasn't been confirmed. I haven't heard that. But, again, they're not suspects. They're not uh, being detained. So, I don't think that there would be really anything that would stop them from traveling. But I would I would think that, you know, Bill, you might be able to expand better on this is like if they're in Florida, what's up with that? I think they would uh, be uh, strongly encouraged not to leave the state of California. Right. Uh, if they don't have probable cause to arrest them, they can't stop them from leaving. But I think they would strongly suggest to them that they not leave. And, you know, that also lays another layer of suspicion on them. If they leave California to go to Florida, like why are they not hanging around to find their kids, to help find their kids, you know? Right. Mike, are you yeah. on the air? You live or are you frozen? Uh, I can hear me, yeah. Yeah, I can For hear For some reason, my internet service. I pay a lot of money, the highest amount of, to a monthly service for the highest speed and still not fast enough. That's the left coast for you. <laughs> 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 Mike, you know, one, of the th one of the reasons we brought you in here is because you're obviously a computer forensic expert and the police served a warrant on this home. And of course, one of the things they would be looking to take would be the, the, the home computer. Could you uh, give us a little uh, wisdom on that and how that works forensically and what they're going to be looking for? Sure. So the first thing is that uh, in many cases, you would want a search warrant. So uh, the detective who's assigned the case, uh, I guess in this case, a missing persons case, would uh, get a search warrant for the computer and then also to do a forensics of the computer. Once they've, once they've gotten a judge to sign off on that, they have permission to take it. And then the, the, the computer will be imaged 
and they call it a bit by bit image on a forensic computer where the who in computer crimes uh, will then work on that image uh, to try to evidence. Now the computer crime detect, uh, you know, all the data is in there, but they have with the investigator at the uh, Homicide or Missing Persons Bureau to uh, sort of help with the keyword search or uh, time frame and time stamps. So it's very important for the computer forensics detectives to make sure that the time on the computer is actual uh, true time because it could show throw off a story and lead an investigator down an incorrect path. Uh, and so the professionals that do it today will know the time clock on the computer and then start doing the forensic work. Mike, could you, could you tell if they tried to delete things on the computer uh, and then in fact, it'll still be preserved on the hard drive? Yes. Yeah, so if, if, for example, if they did some uh, searches or keyword searches, like on Google, like how to get it with murder type thing, or some other searches, uh, uh, that's what will be there. But also what you're talking about is documents and keystrokes that were typed and then maybe deleted. Like they were going to do some kind of scheme or ransom. Uh, maybe that would be in the computer. It would be very useful for the investigators. And this is uh, NY, former NYPD detective Mike Fabozzi, also a John Jay College professor at one time. And he has a, a computer company now, a forensic computer company in Silicon Valley. But with all of that said, he has a bad Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, let me ask you a question, because when I'm looking at the parents, they look kind of young to be adoptive parents. I could almost understand if they were foster parents. But though, didn't that, doesn't that, I don't even know like how, a young couple like that would go and adopt and, um, like that young. It just seems odd to me. Usually uh, people who adopt are a little bit older. They, they can't have kids on their own or, you know what I'm saying? You know, Mark, I, I actually looked at that too. When I first picked the case up, I said, you know, they got six kids. They have two of their own and then they have four, I believe, adopted. The two that went missing and then two additionals that were adopted. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that I scratched my head because they don't look like they're more than 30, 32, 35, 30 in that range, maybe even younger. Uh, but I don't know the adoption laws. I mean, when we were cops, we, I was just used to take kids to Spofford, right? I, I don't, I don't know what the, what the, you know, you see, you see to me, sometimes if you're in a situation where, you know, that, that there is some blood there that let's say those, those children's parents died. And that was a nephew or something like that. And they went to court and he was willing to adopt them. That's, that's a situation where you might get them young, but the fact that they have six kids and they're that young too, that's, that's a pretty, um, that's a heavy burden on any yeah. family. How, who's going to work? How, how are they surviving? Is it, is a money grab? You know, sometimes right. these foster kids become a money grab too. Yeah. And uh, Mimi J too in the chat, she's one of my moderators and Patreon and channel. Uh, member, she says, does the biological mom have any say in who forces them? And I know that answer is no. They, well, because the don't. children were removed. They were they were removed because one of the one of the boys, I believe, the older the the four year old Oren had a fracture at like six months old in the in his leg, and she was a drug user. So there was probably more to the story. I don't know all the details because I didn't obviously have access to, you know, the case, but um. 
this this child was forcibly removed and um and and, and put into foster care and these were the fosters and then they in turn adopted them so okay i, I gotta get a little better versed on it yeah so, i mean why would someone that's a foster parents that are actually getting paid to uh raise these kids adopt them and then they stop getting paid why would why would they do that is that something you know, i mean yeah i mean, I mean there if is they're they... not motivated by money that's one reason that they really love the children uh i'm not i don't know this case very well but one thing when someone is adopted they are in all facts and circumstances legally your child right uh and you're responsible for them so i don't the specifics of of actually a great thing do we, do we know what the father does for a living you know several people asked me bill about that and um you know i just didn't i didn't delve into that but i'm sure some of the content creators on youtube probably already have that figured out i th i feel like um there is uh there's a money element that comes into play here because the west family that's the that's the um, adoptive adoptive's, yeah father's you know last name his parents i think or someone in the west family put up 30k in uh reward money uh and there was also reports that when they went to go buy that two hundred thousand dollar home where they're living right now that it was um a problem with down payment or meeting a mortgage and then all of a sudden they came back with a large sum lump sum of money so people are speculating that possibly there could be something not right because uh, somebody said he's not employed, um, you know, working at, you know, for IBM or something like that. So he's uh, not a, a full-time employee anywhere. Where's he getting his money from? So that's uh, questions that come up, you know? Absolutely. And Mike, one, another thing we wanted to talk about forensically, the cell phones. And we know a lot about cell phones doing investigations, the text messages, the, uh, the calls going back and forth between the mother and the father, the GPS location where the person is when they say they're possibly somewhere else, that could be used to challenge them in interrogation. You, you want to speak upon that? Oh, sure. So basically, if you're, you're carrying a GPS computer in your pocket, now, as now the the area that that this uh, missing it happened is sort of a rural area in uh, in California near the Mojave Desert. It's 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 a quite a rural place, uh, but all of the all the information that's in the cell phone is going to be recovered by the the forensics. Uh, I apologize if my service is going out. I don't know why the internet is so today, but it is. Um, but the phone. GPS, any searches, messages to anybody. Uh, also, uh, uh, you know, it's a way to check. You're cutting out, Mike. It's uh, going to actually have his footprints, his footsteps for the past few days. And that will really good, be good evidence for the investigators. Hey, um, Duty Ron, Barbara Farrell asks, do you think there is... Uh, is child trafficking involved in this? It, it's a it's a component that is a possibility. It's one of the angles that um, perhaps uh, could have you know it's one of the possibilities that could have happened to these kids. We don't know, uh, but yeah, that's a great 
question because a lot of people are talking about it. Apparently, the child trafficking game is strong down there because it's close to the border of Mexico. Uh, and there was talk about there was two young children down in or just across the border a bit uh, recovered uh, recently uh, that were deceased. Uh, so two young children uh, were, um, I guess, found in Mexico. And they're asking, you know, they were asking me, why aren't the police here going and talking with the people, the authorities of Mexico? That is a whole nother animal right there. It's difficult to get communication when you're talking about, um, and even if there was a suspect there to bring them back, the extradition is a whole process. So um, Bill, you could probably speak more about that. Well, you know, dealing with another country's authorities, you're right. It's an old, a whole other Pandora's box of, uh, of problems there. Right. But that's why we have the FBI and we have units that regular Homeland Security that uh, regularly deal with uh, people in foreign countries. You know, Duty Ron, we want to bring back, because a lot of our fans don't know, let's go back to the 21st of December, where the two kids uh, allegedly first disappeared. Right. Yeah. Um, so on the 21st, when this happened, uh, the father was supposedly out in the backyard uh, moving wood around because it was cold. He was trying to get some wood and bring it inside the house. Bill, you and I with Irma, we showed the interior of that home. There is, in fact, a working fireplace, at least as per the multi, you know, the multiple listing service. Uh, we watched the video. It looked like there was a working fireplace in the house. But he said that there's tons of wood all around at the press conference. And we did the drone footage and aerial from Google Earth. It's a dry desert. I mean, it is. there's some trees, but... <laughs> But those trees are like, it looks like they've been there for a long time. And there's just not a, a whole bunch of, um, you know, desert available. This looks like the video from uh, the neighbor's house. So we saw him moving about the backyard at the time that he said that the kid went outside the gate, but there was no children there and there was no urgency. So to really make it short and sweet, there was no, no freaked out parent looking for his kid got into his car and took a five minute, six minute car ride and then came back and didn't search the adjacent properties. There's those open lots there. He didn't even search those. I mean, if, I don't know about you, Bill, if, if your kids were missing, I'd be like with floodlights out there, turning my headlights on on a car. I'd be driving up into the, on the sand, looking for them. I'd be freaking out. The late, I, the, I would do more than a six minute search. That's for sure. The foster you know? mom never at any time left that house. Right. She didn't even come outside. My wife would be like, what the you know, hold on. Yeah, they're, they're so young, too. Um, you Three know, the, the funny thing is, though, usually, especially since we're all retired NYPD, you know that you go on a lot of these cases where, for example, you know, it's a foster family. Right. The people there are taking in foster kids constantly. There's a certain amount of money that's required to run that particular household. Um, some of them take better care of their kids than others using the money for them that they get. But they always want the kids to stay alive because that's money coming in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, I, it, the idea that they're, they're missing now, it, it would have to be for some type of selling them off to sex trafficking. Because other than that, you, you're missing out on income. Right, money. right. Uh, well, we have people. We have people from South Africa in the chat here, and one of the ladies from the UK said, "If you lie all the time in the UK, if you lie to the police, you're in custody right away." 
This um, yeah. you know, it's it's a different thing. You know, purpose lie to us all the time. You know, it's our job to get the truth out of them. Well, the only law enforcement that has that as a, a penalty is the FBI. If you right. lie to the FBI, you can be charged with the crime of lying to a federal officer. And ninety nine percent of their cases are built on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at this. Look at that. Look at the job. connection that just happened to uh, Silicon Valley. You got a better hey, connection, look at Michael. You're good, buddy. What's you're, up, Mike? You're in high def. What did you do? A computer scrub of your computer? Yes, exactly. I rebooted. You took all the porn out. <laughs> <laughs> to, to all our fans, again, this is a retired NYPD, BD, NYPD detective Mike Fabosi, who is a computer crime expert. You know, Mike, you were cutting out a little bit before. You want to elaborate a little bit more on the computer and the cell phone of where that's going to lead us in this investigation, if anywhere. Yeah, I, I think I would focus more on the cell phone data uh, than the computer. I saw that they or heard that there was a search warrant and the computer was removed. The cell phones were removed. A treasure trove of data and information uh, to understand where they were at what time. And I think earlier I was talking about the, that the forensics is going to be done by a team or detectives that have expertise in that, lots of training. And so the first they'll do an image of the computer and then they'll do image of the cell phones. The data that they'll get, especially in the phones is gonna be GPS data. So they'll, they'll know their tracking. And so that might lead to locations that will be interest to the investigators. Uh, if they brought their children in a car, that information will be transmitted. And actual, there's, there's other data that you may not even be aware of, like in the, in the vehicle itself, some of the newer cars will have a treasure trove of data also. They'll connect to different cell phones. So if they discarded a cell phone, their previous cell phone may have, have, have some information. And then that data is gonna be, there's gonna be another search warrant drawn on uh, if it's Google or Apple or whatever, whatever service they're using. That will uh, that will come back to the investigators. Uh, any any searches, any texts, any emails, and and GPS. Also, license plate readers and other things like that that really help in the investigation. Absolutely. Hey Mike, I got a I got a question for you. I'm sorry, Bill. Um, it's okay. Mike, you know the the sheriff there. It's a small town police department, as you heard us speaking about. Um, they don't have a lot of resources, so that he did confirm that he called in the FBI. Now, we all know that the FBI doesn't just go around saying, hey, I'll come and help you. you. You need to reach out to them through channels to get them to do it. In the NYPD, we, you know, we have that task force with the FBI. So it's a little different story. But in these smaller departments, you, know, you need to go through channels. And um, if, if you could tell some of the listeners about some of the resources that the FBI's uh, computer forensics lab have. I mean, it, it probably is right in line with, or a couple of steps above the uh, NYPD over at 1PP. Sure, uh, I could definitely testify to the NYPD computer squad is terrific. Uh, over the past 10 years, the FBI's uh, forensics and computer uh, abilities have really uh, been terrific. In this particular case, since it is rural, uh, uh, Southwestern California near the desert, there's probably the closest uh, office, field office would, would be Los Angeles, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. And those, those agents are gonna be overwhelmed. I think that in this particular case, uh, probably the local larger police department would be involved, like maybe Bakersfield PD, who yeah. since, since I, I got a very late notice on this from, from, uh, from Bill, uh, 
I called the Bakersfield Police Department right before I got on this call to see if they had a current computer forensics team, and they do. So, so I think that that's that's good information. I think they're probably better off with that agency because uh, the computer forensics for the FBI really focusing right now on probably what happened in Washington and terrorism and stuff like right. that. Right. You know, Mike, one of the things that. you mentioned also because this is a rural area. And there may not be that many cell sites. For yeah. example, in the desert, there's not going to be a cell site in the desert. So if they, in fact, did murder these children and dumped them in the desert, there might not be a cell site hit in the exact uh, location. Yeah, but the, the, the GPS on the phone will, and if they had some sort of, let's say, an app on their phone that tracked jogging or things like that, that would actually have the exact detail of the location they, they've been at. Um, also, uh, there are ways through the phone services, Google and Apple, where they could identify a particular phone by its identifiers, uh, by its unique identifiers of the location uh, where it's at. Also, if you're using an application like a driving app, like Waze or something like that, that might be helpful also. You, so the detectives would subpoena those that data. Right. Exactly. There's a couple of uh, interesting points brought up in the chat. And Melissa uh, Wood brings up the point that um, they stopped getting social worker visits. Now, usually in New York, um, Robert123 brings up that the, the, the visits usually stopped once they go from foster to adoptive. I don't know what, what the deal is in California, but... Um, if they did kind of sort of, uh, you know, say, okay, we don't really need the social workers to come up, come back anymore. That's another little sketchy. I mean, do you really want to put on a show for the people anymore once they're adopted and you've proven you're going to be a good parent? Probably not. But um, I would think there would be some checks and balances, some rechecking, um, you know, over maybe intervals, you know, maybe a once a year check. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it is um, it is disconcerting that this was able to happen. And this couple, this young couple had six children. <laughs> uh, but somebody brought up another good point. They have all the interviews at that location at the at, in California City. Not one neighbor said that they've ever seen those two boys. Right. Exactly. What's, what is that? Heidi, thanks for the super chat. That's one of my one of my people there, Bill. So, thank you, so thank you, Heidi. I'd like to address the uh, adopted parent. Uh, so when when the court signs off on the children are adopted, they're just like your biological children legally. So would you want people following up on your parenting? So I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't want to defend the parents, like, but I'm just saying in a general situation. I get it. I get it. You proved that you're going to be a good parent. Uh, you were a good foster parent. You, they allowed you to adopt it enough with the visits already. It's, it's annoying. But it just brings up an interesting point. If they do have a situation where you have a choice to have them keep coming and you say, nah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> now, when they go missing, it comes. But the fact that nobody's seen these kids yeah. ever. And they've lived there since September. It, it, well, it goes one step further, boys. Um, th there's a YouTube uh, guy uh, that's out there, um, AK United We Stand. He is going out 
and going back to their previous location where they lived in September before they moved to this location. And he went to the apartment complex, and I think their apartment was 114. They went over to 114, and they went next to it, and they knocked on the door, and the people came out, and they talked on camera. And he said, what, what were these people like? Were, were their kids out? Were the kids playing out on the front lawn here? Like a big lawn out front, you know, where all the apartments, you know, like a big, like, condo complex? And they were like, we've never seen those kids out once. We'd see them in the window once in a while. They were not allowed out. Which is a little strange in itself. Very just to, just to re- suspicious, yeah. Just to reiterate what I had spoken about um, last night on Duty Ron's show, part of a, uh, this investigation is to find things, find irregularities, find things that uh, you can challenge the parents with maybe possibly even illegal things because right now they don't have enough to challenge them with with or else they would bring them in and they'd be subject to not an interview an interrogation which is different than an interview and of course they would interrogate the mother and the father separately but they need to have things to challenge them with or else they could just keep lying to them so they have to have solid things that's what what mike fabozzi was talking about was the computer and the cell phone stuff. There is concrete, a timeline that you can build from the computer or from the cell phone. You want to touch upon that, Mike? Yeah, sure. So if, if we start with the computer, um, you know, the, the Texas would see if there was, they would do some keyword searches, if they would, if there was um, uh, searches on the internet for different, different things, if, even as innocuous as bleach, Right, like oh, does bleach does does this bleach disguise blood stains? Like like oh wow, that that that'd be a very interesting Google search if I did the forensics on on this computer uh, that I would then you know relate to the homicide detective or missing persons detective. Uh, but the cell phone, I think, in this particular case, is going to be very uh, important for the investigation and and really to challenge those those parents. Um, Even if you know, it. Even if it just comes down to by the time they were reported missing, if I'm in the middle of playing a video game on my phone and, okay, we just reported a child missing, and then now all of a sudden I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, liking pictures, doing this, and I'm not even paying attention to my child missing, that's, that's, that's going to... Sh- you know, that doesn't look good. Like you, you just mm-hmm. reported your child missing and you, you, know, you play three hours of... Absolutely. Uh, I I always say that circumstantial evidence, uh, which means evidence which inferences can be made from, is very powerful when it's piled up high on top of each other. One piece of circumstantial evidence, okay, but when you have 40 or 50 pieces of circumstantial evidence, then you have something. I want to just interject. There's um, there's a a woman in the chat. She's a content creator. uh, Life perplexed. Um, and I believe she has a brother who's uh, was an NYPD or in the police department in, in some capacity. So uh, Life Perplex says, in your professional experience, though, every crime needs a motive. What are possible motives to kill not one, but two kids, yet leave four alive? And I can answer that a little bit. And then I, I'm sure that somebody, you know, Mike, you could probably expand on it. It brings me right to the Thomas Valva which were coming up on the one year anniversary on the 17th of his murder. That's an NYPD ex transit cop, uh, Michael Valva killed his son in a garage 
uh, last January 17th uh, out in Manorville or out east. I think uh, I got the I got the town wrong. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get crushed for that. But he killed his autistic son who was seven years old. Left him in the garage. He froze to death and yeah, um, that. Yeah. Tort tortured that kid, but there was three other kids in that house that were untouched. <sighs> so sometimes these parents, um, as evil, evil as this sounds, just single out kids and don't touch any of the others. There was girls in that house uh, with the Valva incident and they were um, under, all, uh, under all conditions in perfect condition. And he singled out the two autistic boys and attacked, you know, and, and treated them brutally. So, well, you know, duty, Ron, in this case, it could be like they had four kids and then two put them over the edge and yeah. they couldn't handle six kids, you know? Yeah. You know, that's a very small unit, especially if you're not going out to work every day. That family unit that you have and what happens inside those four walls, especially if you're not taking your kids out on a regular basis, um, it becomes a very insulated and just a crazy it just get, could get crazier and crazier every day right and know, especially what, what, if you have financial problems you don't have a job maybe your marriage is falling apart right you know that's where um child abuse comes in lots of times i read another angle and i don't know how true it is but i did read it in one of the on one of the news outlets out in california they said that um there's a possibility that the mother the, the adoptive mother was uh, practicing some type of voodoo or uh, Sa satanic Santeria. stuff, Santeria. Uh, and, and I found that to be, uh, you know, I, I kind of shrugged it off a little bit, but we know from being in a profession that's alive and well in America. You know, I was, there was a guy in the two, three precinct when I was there, his name was Pistol Pete, and he was shooting everyone in the precinct. He shot about five or six guys Every and and we we grabbed him and the guy he was five foot two 120 pounds but when he walked up the street the, the people just started running you know it was like the guy omar from the wire and uh he when i when i caught him he had a santa ria statue and my name was inside it <laughs> so oh, i think shit. he i think he wished me ill will but he went to prison and i'm doing uh, police off the cuff so yeah. who you think who you think's doing better yeah don't don't invite him on as a guest. No, I won't. <laughs> I don't even know where Pistol Pete is these days. Mike, what do you what do you think about um, uh, the motives here? Um, I mean, it would be speculation, but you know, what, what what would you think, and what have you seen in some of the cases that you've uh, you know provided? I know computer crimes always uh, did support for homicide cases, and I'm sure you've seen a lot. Yeah, sure. So, um, it's, are you talking to Mike DeMeo or myself? You. You, Michael. I'm Mark, sorry. Mike Fabosi, he's Mark. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so one I'd like to just add and uh, is that I did work in a 3-0 squad. So just a shout out for that. So you, uh, you, you rocked a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Before, what was that, before nerding house? out. <laughs> was that a B house, Bill? Uh, the 3-0 the when he was there was, a, was, an a, a. was an A house. Yeah, that that's was an no a. joke. That's an A, yeah. Was the, it was a very small place, but one of the most violent precincts in the city. Yeah, Back when was, he was there. That was 95. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you look, this case is intriguing in a lot of ways, right? Like the first, you're going to look right at the parents first, right? They're respons responsible for the children. I don't like his 
demeanor in interviews and his, the way he's holding himself and his hands crossed like this, like there's no panic. Like if you have children, there's so much panic going on. Um, but Santeria or, or some religious cult or something like that, it's certainly possible. Uh, is there someone in the neighborhood? Um, but I think that video shows that, um, that, the, that no one came and took the kids at that particular time. So, so you know, the, the, the circles are getting smaller and smaller uh, as, the, as the forensics and as the different uh, investigation unfolds. So we will see well, how, how or why you would kill a child, adopt a child or your own child or a foster care child. You know, it's just heartbreaking, it's terrible. Mm. But um, so, you know what, so as Mike, far as motive, you know, I don't know. They, I, don't, I, I really can't add more value there. Mike, is, uh, you talked about the cell phone and let's just go through a natural course of events. Um, if the, the, it's safe to say they probably each had a cell phone. I'm looking at the cell phone records, right? Our cell phones have become our lifeline, by the way. Right after the 911 call, I would imagine that the following calls are going to go to every relative or friend that you have in the neighborhood. Okay. And they're going to be frantic calls. They're probably going to be quick and short. Um, and if there's none of that on their phones, that is a get that to me, you know, because that's a natural reaction. Your child's missing. The first thing you're going to do when you decide you can't find them on your own, call 911. Mark, good, after that, you're good, going to start good, calling your friends and family. Point. Very good point. But again, circumstantial evidence. But and, and when it builds it, up, it's strong. It up. Right. But it's not if, strong enough. It's not a smoking gun. Which if is she, what if they're need. playing their games or looking at videos and, and there was a, a 911 call and not one call to a family member asking, did you take my kids or did you see my kids or nothing like that? It's circumstantial, but it builds up. Absolutely. Sure. Duty, Ron, I want to ask you one question. There was a report. Uh, and I think I, it's never really been confirmed. And I think it was on the 27th that the kids were seen outside of a, a Walmart or something, some store. Yeah, it was an Albertson store. Um, and, and, you know, there's a little bit of controversy swirling around that, Bill. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about that. Uh, but Perplex QT, uh, thank you so much for being here. And Guys, if you haven't invited, uh, share this video out onto your uh, social media platforms. Let's get the word out. Uh, we're talking about, uh, a, you know, a very sensitive case involving two missing toddlers, three or four years old. So if you have social media, if you have a big following, uh, I would ask, and, and I know that Bill and Mark would be appreciative of it, if you guys could just share it out. I see that a couple of you ladies, um, Dawn Marie, you sent it out to the police and crime chat group. And you sent it out to the Duty Ron YouTube video share group on Facebook. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, the, the controversy that's swirling around this, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it today, is that the person who came forward with that information, as you can recall, Bill, it was the uh, private investigator. Right. Ah, and, and shit, it, it, it slipped my mind because um, I'm getting old. But I think his last name was like... Um, it's Garcia. Garcia, right. So Mr. Garcia who has an impressive track record. He said on his, the news clipping that we showed last night, he's investigated 300 missing person cases and closed 150 of them. So he's got a half, you know, he's got a 50% close rate, which is pretty impressive. 
uh, that he found 150 missing persons. And if that, in fact, is true, which I, I don't have any reason to believe it's not, he was the one who went and brought that forward to uh, Bakersfield, I think, and then went to California City. Today, it was reported that California City threatened him and told him to get the F out of there and that he's interfering with the case. And he publicly on Facebook made a video or a statement and said, I'm packing it in. I'm going back to San Diego. So I don't know. None of us know what happened, what happened in that trans in that, in that uh, transaction or that conversation, but something happened between him and law enforcement authorities where they told him, you know, basically get the F out of here. And, um, I don't like to hear that because when you have limited resources with boots on the ground and you have people helping, like we're not used to that. And the NYPD, you know, PI start showing up and like, <laughs> you're in my way, guy, get out of here. You know, I mean? take a walk. You know, we, we got enough people here. You know, we got helicopters, we got freaking scuba, you know, we got the uh, Harbor one, we could get the launch out. You know, it's like, we don't need you here. You're in our way, but out there in the middle of nowhere, bumfuck Idaho, whatever you want to call it, you kind of like need people to help you divers. They don't even have a school, you know, they don't even have like a, a unit that can go out and dive. Right. So, you know, if somebody shows up with gear ready to go, like an adventures with purpose guy in a bathing suit, let him do it. Right. Yeah. As long as he's not wearing, <laughs> as long as he's not wearing a speedo, he he's good. Jump in, man. Help us out. You know? So it's like, I heard that report today and you know, this, um, this guy, AV that's out there, uh, United we stand. That guy is really trying to get, things done he's trying to search ma massive areas well in the middle know, dude, of the night Judy, searching Ron, I, around. I can tell you in every i've been i've been in probably hundreds of major major investigations that involved a lot of uh the hundreds of detectives you know in new york city if you get a major case they just grab detectives from every precinct in manhattan and they mobilize them to a location right and everyone works the case and sometimes i can tell you that more is not always better. You know what I mean? In the beginning, more is better, but then you got to sort of shave it down. But I yeah. can tell you that we follow up on every single lead, right. no matter how far-fetched it may seem, because that lead that someone calls it in, it has to be closed out, has right. to be investigated and closed out. Yep. And I would imagine that this police department is doing the same thing. I can't speak from working with them Right. But that is police procedure. You must follow up every lead and close it out. Right. Susan King sent a $20 super chat to you guys. She says the neighbor whose property shares the back fence says that she, uh, she never saw any children in the yard. As a matter of fact, all the neighbors around, and there wasn't, I did the Google Earth view, there maybe was like five or six homes total in that area. And then if you expanded it out, there was more, but it was like a home, their home, two vacant lots, so we're aware of that. And um, that's also, Bill, you expanded. You spoke about that last night. It's part of the case. So thank you for that super chat. As Mark Susan was, King, uh, thank you so much. We before. really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Hey, thank um, you. do you remember the case where they had the children living? I think they were living in the backyard, almost like in a doghouse. Um, and the neighbors also said they never saw the kids as well. They were malnutrition. I mean, I don't know how many of the kids died. If one of them died, but the other ones, do you remember the case I'm talking about? What what, what borough was that in? It was in Queens? Um, no, it was it was it wasn't in New York. It was somewhere oh. in Africa, but 
Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't they remember kept that. the kids in the backyard. They had like this makeshift, like kind of tent that they had with sheets and stuff like that. And um, the kids were malnutrition and they were the same situation adopted or foster. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like um, it, it's a psychosis, maybe that some people I mean, mental illness, Men- they, mental they, illness comes into play here. It's got to. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to dispose of their child, no matter you know what they did, you know, like unless you lose your mind. Right, so mental illness comes and plays in here. But you, know, um, you would, ho- duty, Ron. You would hope that there would be enough vetting by uh, social services, by Bureau of Child Welfare, that would screen out people that should and shouldn't be allowed to adopt children. And, yeah, and of course, follow it up once they do adopt them. Well, follow up is is good, but like you know, if you're in a situation where you were perfectly fine, and all of a sudden you take on these two new kids. And from what yeah. I read um, on the people following the chat, it looks like they had special needs as well. Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard and that today. Exhausted them, but now you know time continues and it, the, the the amount of work it becomes burdensome, um, yeah. exhaustion, fatigue, mental. You know. Yeah, see, and I saw two more people in the chat say, and uh, the glare is here. That's Will, one of the friends of the Duty Run channel. He says, "Is it true that the PD in that area is privately owned?" So. I heard that from a couple of sources. I mean, I guess it's anything's possible. Uh, I know that corrections does privately run correction facilities uh, throughout the country, right? Uh, guys, Mike, I mean, they I've used heard to it. be, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so in California, there's places, there's you know, cities and towns, and there's areas that are called unincorporated. So, if there's an unincorporated town, the uh, the sheriff of the county. It would be the law enforcement for that unincorporated town. Hmm. Now, specifically, I don't know this city or town. It's it's very far from where I live, right. but I know that's that's the policy here in California. So the, the sheriff is elected. It's an elected official. Usually, an elected official, and then they they are the sheriff, the lead law enforcement for the county. So he may or may not have a lot of law enforcement experience. He may or may not. True. He's brand new. I know he's new. The, the the guy that was in there before him, and I don't know if they're sheriffs or I think his badge said police chief. So I tell you, duty run, you throw four stars on someone's epaulet and you can't tell. <laughs> you know? I used to have a rack that went over yeah, my yeah. shoulder. I was when one of those that, guys, you know, when you have that rack on the NYPD. That's when guys, they're scared. They're like, <laughs> isn't, oh, that one of, isn't that one of your Patreon uh, uh, levels? I'll polish, yeah. your rack. Pol- polish my rack. That's yeah. right. <laughs> guys, if you're not supporting police off the cuff, these are uh, two retired NYPD. One, one guy's a retired Sergeant from Manhattan North homicide. The other guy, is a retired NYPD police officer and, and detective. He did, uh, detective Mark. Oh yeah, detective. detective. Sorry, Jesus, Jesus Louise. Support both these guys. Um, check out their YouTube channel. Go look at their Patreon and uh, support them. They're, they interview. I, I'm honored to be here with these guys because they've had Chief Adamone. They've got some really big sure. guys on here. So I, it's a, it's an honor for me to be here. Truly. I just interviewed uh, Jack Cambria yesterday, hmm. the chief hostage negotiator. Probably the most knowledgeable hostage negotiator in the world. Yes. He actually teaches it all over the world. Now. I was very honored to interview him, you know? Yeah. Pretty amazing. Thank you, Quinny, for subscribing. And thank you to everyone who does subscribe here to these guys. Um, they got a phenomenal channel and they're, uh, they're really, uh, you know, doing great stuff and they're giving you a lot of good information, but yeah, this case is just, it's just so bizarre because, you know, um, the, the, 
law enforcement element, you know, Bakersfield seems like a bigger police department. Like Mike said, he looked at and called down over there and they, they seem to have a little bit bigger of resources and a department and, and they're helping out because the searches are going on in those two areas. I think it's Kern County. Uh, I don't know if I'm right on that. Kern. No, you're correct. Uh, right. uh, this is Mike again. Just on, so Kern County. And I, I wanted to go back to, to the sheriff's office and, and uh, Department of Spe uh, Services. So, so the area is very rural. So, so the investigators may not have driven out to, to the house over time or maybe one visit and then phone calls. It's, it's pretty rural there. Uh, yeah. You know, you buy the Mojave Desert. You know, one of the things I wanted to say is, and it's, um, there's a possibility of cases like these don't get solved or get solved years and years later. We had the case, the famous, famous case in New York City of a boy named Eton Pates, mm. who was kidnapped off the streets of the East Village, probably like 40 years ago. And they had just recently, they were satisfied that they solved it on a guy who was already in prison. Uh, who had made admissions to some of his cellmates. And then we had uh, Baby Hope up in the 3-4. There was a, a little baby that was put in a, um, in a cooler and they found her body in the cooler. And for years and years and years, that case went unsolved. In fact, the 3-4 detectives took a collection and they bought her a headstone and they paid for her burial. Just two news. years ago, through genealogical DNA, they solved that case and her uncle killed her. So these cases can be very, very, very difficult to solve. And look, at this point, I mean, look, we always want to be hopeful. Maybe we could find these kids alive, but it's been over three weeks now. Yeah. And statistically and, and you know, every other way, it says that bad things happen to these two boys. I mean, obviously this might sound like a academic question, but the, the biological mother, where, where is, uh, where, the, obviously she's been interviewed and those people, how about those people? Yeah, the biological mom came to the press conference that they gave, the, the, the still photo that uh, Bill put up there, that news conference, the biologicals came, and the biological mom came and- 12-step <laughs> um, woman just gave us 999. Thank you so much, 12-step woman. You're the best. <laughs> thank you, thank we you. We appreciate all of these super chat we're not yeah. even used to this, but these are all duty runs people. You've been so generous to us and helping us build up our uh, YouTube you. presence. And I appreciate all of the duty run fans jumping on the uh, police off the cuff bandwagon. Thank you so much. So the, so the biological mom uh, did speak out she said she was suspicious of things going on, but she said in an interview that she was, had no contact with this family until her kids went missing and she saw it on the news and she flipped out and came over because the the news just doxed the 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 adoptive parents. They put the address all over the place. So she came down with her aunt, and you saw the aunt on the uh, front lawn giving them the business. Like you know, this is not how caring parents are supposed to act when their two children are gone. You're too nonchalant. His exact words. He's like, you're you're too calm. You're too nonchalant about this. You're showing no emotion. And it was a very tense standoff there i don't think the biological mom was there uh but she got interviewed afterwards she was like in the in you know like close by but i don't think legally she could have been there so that's why the aunt was there and a bunch of other her, her family members and they were all pissed uh at the two of them and they were getting defensive but um 
you know, the biological mom said my motherly intuition said there was something wrong for a long time, but I had no legal recourse. My, my rights and my custody were, I was and the, the biological mom, she lost the children because of her uh, drug problems. She, she claimed to have a marijuana or some type of drug problem. But the, the four-year-old, that's, that's what she said. I mean, I, th I think it's a little bit more severe than that yes. because yeah, uh, <laughs> social I'm services. based on what she said, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but she also, when the child was just three or six months old, had a broken leg and it was on okay. suspicious conditions. Right. Because, you know, if, if you're in dire straits and you're hooked on drugs, whatever, and you know a way to get some money. Right, right. Um, yeah, people get these two kids if you want. I know right. where they live. <laughs> All right, so, you know, so, you know, that, so some... just uh, I'm just throwing out yeah, possibilities. No, no. If we were four guys right now sitting in the squad room, trying to find the motive, you're just shooting. You're spitballing right now. Did we right. look at? Did we look at the biological mother? Did we look at her phone? Did we look at who she's contacting? Irma yeah. said, "What about the biological father? Right well, yeah. now, it's fathers. There's two separate dads for each one of these boys." Oh, uh, but uh, apparently one of them's incarcerated or was incarcerated. The other one is just in the breeze. He's, uh, you know, one of these, you know, absentee landlords um, just, you know, did his thing and ran. But um, perplexed but, Q QT says, says about the sense, the dog caught sense inside the house. And this is a big one with the fans, the listeners, the people who aren't law enforcement like us. So they got these questions like, how come the dog hit inside the house, but he didn't hit outside the house? Well, if they brought bedding over from the previous location where the kids were seen, confirmed, they were confirmed at the apartment in Bakersfield. So maybe they brought their bedding or maybe a mattress over. The dog's going to smell that. And um, that explains the hit on inside that home. Could be clothing, could be any type of item. Right, guys? I'm not just... Well, well usually if there is a hit, they'll also take the dog outside after he has that scent. And, and see where the dog goes after that. If he follows the scent, you know, to another location. He stayed in the doorways, according to uh, reports on the ground there. So. You know, there's. So as Bill would Bill would say, uh, you know, that's another circumstantial piece of evidence, right? So right. the dog is trained, right? They they have no vested interest. They just do what they the, the scent. And if the dog didn't go outside the house, there's pretty. How did the you know, how, how were those children, uh, the neighbors reported never seeing them outside. Right. So, so, so the, the question to ask is if the dog only has the hit inside the house, did they leave the, the house alive or dead? Mm. All right. Or, or were duty Ron is saying maybe they never made it to the house. Maybe they just brought the bedding over there. That's why the dog is smelling the bedding, but Mark, did you have grade? Did you get grade, Mark? No, no, I could have. I, I was up for it, but yeah, I didn't either. He, he, I didn't he, either. He but third I think grade. you were worthy of that, bro. <laughs> give us the grade, man. I was working for Pulaski, and he still didn't give me the grade. For for our fans out there, New York City detectives, there's three ranks of detective: uh, third grade investigator, second grade, and first grade makes. Um, Lieutenant's pay. Second grade makes sergeant's pay. So actually, if you're a first grade detective, you really can make more money than than a chief because you make overtime. Some of them make five, six hundred hours a year overtime. 
whereas a chief gets gets a straight salary, but he gets other spiffs, right? I got pinned though. I got. I remember when I came home with the pin. I got pinned after the homicide course I, co- I coordinated and I showed my ex-wife. I was like, look, I got pinned. She goes, how much more money do you make? I was like, yeah. no, that's it. I just, no, that's it. This is it. I you just pin. get the pin. I got out with lieutenant's pay as a third grader, though. I, I did a ton of overtime in, uh, in Warrens. I was in the trip team, so I was out going outside the state picking people up. So that's I worked great. in Warrens, too. Where'd you yeah. work? You know Johnny Comer, right? You worked with yeah, him. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, I worked, yeah. I worked was, with him uh, in the, the task, force. task force first. Yeah, I talked to him about you. And then I worked in, uh, he worked, he went to Queens Warrants. I went to Manhattan Warrants. Yeah. He was my partner in Queens Warrants. Anyways, um, quickly, Q, uh, Perplex QT says the previous owners of the home that they're currently living in says there's a secret room in the attic. FBI was inside that house twice. They did two search warrants. They brought out 46 items, bags, 46 bagged items, brown bagged. So that could have been clothing, could have been, who knows? We don't know. But definitely they confirmed it was electronic evidence, the two cell phones, uh, a laptop, and I think an iPad or electronic devices. Um, if there was a, any type of private rooms, I mean, uh, secret rooms or anything like that, the, they would either go back with another search warrant or while they're there. I mean, I've conducted hundreds of search warrants, hundreds, like in the 500s, that many. Uh, and when we'd have the A-team going there, the place was ripped apart. As a matter of fact, one time and one time only, we did a search warrant. I was in uh, the 113. I was with John Garrity. He was the CEO of Warrants at the time. We were in the basement. I mean, 18 cleared it. We are in there just doing inventory. We had a bunch of guns, drugs, and a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden, we hear movement behind one of the walls in the basement. And it was a perp hiding in the wall. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he didn't have any weapons on him or anything. But we were in that basement area. Because we thought it was, we got the all clear, and we were just joking around and carrying on and doing our stuff, taking our evidence, collecting it. And all of a sudden, it, Coma was there. Johnny Coma was there. He was like, "What the f- is that?" I had a guy. I had a guy. I was like, "John, it's not time to eat yet." He, he was like, "What the f- is that?" And, and I'm like, uh, "Let's go. Let's go look." And he all of a sudden he pulls his gun. He's like, "Get the you know, get the f out of there. Come on out." And it was a guy. It was it was really embarrassing. But yes. Police. Well, you know, Sleeping FB- Beauty just gave us a seven ninety nine super chat. Thank you so much. I'm sure you're another Duty Ron fan, but yes, glad Sleeping to have Beauty. you aboard. And please subscribe to Police she, Off the Cuff. She, she's from Australia. She says, Duty Ron, please look into Melbourne, Australia. Mother and her three babies, two, three, five years old, found dead yesterday. Oh, I will uh, definitely Sleeping Beauty. Send me a message on the website, DutyRon.com, or just private message me on any of the social media and I'll look into that and we will possibly cover that case. That sounds horrific. You know, Duty Ron, let me ask you about that, about building your cases uh, by, by people asking you how you do your investigations from home. But before I do that, I just want to say, before I ask you that, I just want to say, I found the guy one time hiding in, a, in a, what, you know, those beds that used to go inside Pull him out. A Murphy bed. I found him rolled up in there, and he was calling out for help. It was like we were in the room. We're like, you hear that? You hear that? His brother had stuffed him in the bed and threw him in there with the pillows. But he was he was losing his like he got scared. He was getting close to phobic. So he was asking for help. He couldn't get out. Unbelievable. So out the bed, and there he goes. You know, but uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, duty, Ron. One of the things I just want everyone that's listening to know is that investigation doesn't happen quick nothing 
uh, investigation in the word quick do not exist in the same universe. Yeah. All of the evidence that they took takes time to analyze. It has to go to labs. Some of it, if it's forensic evidence, you know, uh, they have to test it. They have to do tests. Some of these tests take two, three or four weeks to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want accurate and good investigation, you just have to be patient and wait, and you have to have yeah. confidence in the police that are investigating, and in this case, also the FBI. And I'm sure everything that can be done is being done to find these two little Tracy boys. Harvey gave us 25 on the um, super chat. Thank you, Tracy. Thank Tracy, Tracy. MPS. That looks like, uh, I guess that would be Vice Squad, Manhattan Vice Squad. I think she, that's she's she from uh, she's from Illinois. She's one of oh. my Patreon supporters and uh, a Duty Run uh, channel member. So and Duty Run, I just wanted to uh, kind of jump on that last comment about uh, time. Mm -hmm. You know, the computer forensics is going to take time. The phone forensics is going to take time. The biological evidence is going to take time. And and because of the ruralness of this area, you know, it, it it's it, there's a lot of driving. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. this is not on television. You know, where in an hour we have this, the case closed. Uh, you know, this stuff has to be tagged, bagged, logged, and then processed. So, right. so even you know, uh, it, it's this is a horrific case, and it's a challenge for law enforcement. And but I think that it's great that you guys are doing this, and and getting the word out. Absolutely. You mentioned yeah. earlier about it, uh, somebody who had information. And it seemed uh, for the, the local P PD, and they, I guess maybe they were either overwhelmed or whatever, they, but they told them to get lost. Um, nowadays, especially with YouTube, and we have a lot of uh, people doing their own investigations that really, they're probably, they might be good at it. God bless them. Um, a lot of them are women, and we know as well, because we're four men here, we know how good at they are at doing their investigations. But... Um, you know, you have a lot of people working on these cases right now. You know, these, and I don't even know how you're picking off the information. I guess you got to kind of sort of, because you're not there, but you can do a lot of stuff online, I guess. Is that, how, how do you go about investigating these things? Well, you know, that's a good question, Mark, because um, what happens is, is we're living in a day, uh, a day and age of transparency with police departments. It's different than when you and I, and when, Grandpa Bill was uh, on the job. So um, at, at you, the end of it all. You, you can't say that when I have a mouthful of water. It almost wound up on the screen. Listen, there. but, but it, it's true. That was just a little dig. But I'm saying the times from the 80s and 90s and now, it's a completely different ball game. So, you know, we have DCPI and the NYPD, right? Uh, in the 90s, when I first started, it was called something else. Remember, it was Jack Maple running around, and he right. was the guy who came out to all the homicides and used to see him with his uh, bow tie, um, you know, but their police departments are getting out stuff to the media that we normally not get out. And what's happening is these web sleuths and these people who cover these crime cases, me included, um, I go and I cipher through it. And the difference between somebody like me and then somebody that has no law enforcement is that I know to decipher the bullshit from what's really happening because we know from doing the job, all of us, have been in different capacities. You worked in the RIP mark, you worked in computer crimes, you worked in, you know, uh, the homicide squad bill, I did warrants. Uh, you know, we all know what is the hogwash and what's the real deal. So people like myself and like you, Bill, and some of the, you know, ex-law enforcement profiling, Evil has a big channel. Um, 
Also, Chris McDonough is another guy from San Diego. He's a retired homicide detective, 30 years he served. We know when the media is putting out bullshit and what's... Isn't it, isn't it funny how you could put together a story? Like all of us, we read stories with... Uh, with civilians that, you know, and then you might be reading the story at the same time and they're like, they come up with them, nah, that couldn't happen. You know why? Because of this, that, and the other. Well, you can read an article and know, like you just put things together the same way we're good at the, the, um, putting together a story. What's the truth? What's the lie? Our brains are trained right now. When somebody talks to us, we take what they're saying and we start like almost like a cotton gin. You, truth, lie, truth, lie, truth, lie. And then you put together the truth. That's it. Our brains are trained for that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And um, that's what we read. When we're reading the articles, we know the bullshit because we've been she, at the crime. She did no more. Or, Just gave us more. a super, uh, super chat. Thank you so much. We appreciate all you guys. All you duty run fans are helping out police off the cuff. We really appreciate it. And Mark, I just wanted to add that, you know, you would read a, an article on the case that you worked and it, it, there's there's very little truth to it and you're like wait this is my case they, they none of this many of much of this Mike, stuff Mike, you know true. that that's so true because the press if they don't know something they just make it up well they just <laughs> you, know? Go by, you know they can only go by who's talking to them and if you know when you're new to the squad or you're you're at a crime scene or you're just standing there in uniform and the press comes up to you, you get shaky. Your knees are like, oh, I don't know nothing. I can't say nothing. You run, you disappear. You hide. You don't want to jeopardize then, the case too, you know. Right. But even the just the cop that may know something is in uniform. He's not gonna. They just get nervous. They don't know what to say to the press. So then, if nobody's talking to them, they only have what they pick up from around. Like, what did you hear? What did you hear? Right. What do you? Hear? And then they start putting together a story. And they'll figure it out later on down the line when the police finally accept except the New York City Police Department is way too transparent. Uh, right. I, I know because when I would work a major case, I had to write what was called the preliminary investigative worksheet. And that thing became an animal of its own. Sometimes it would wound up on a police shooting. It would be like 18 pages long. So right after that happened, I would have to go into the station house and write this report. And sometimes I was like, rushing to finish it by 0600 mm. and i would start it at eight o'clock at night that's wow. how voluminous this report was and this report was used to brief the police commissioner and the chief of detectives but then they would give this to the press <laughs> they would use this to brief the press which yeah. i would see things that i wrote in my report exactly as i wrote it in the newspaper yeah, it's, the cringeworthy. it's cringeworthy it's cringeworthy it's cringeworthy she didn't hey, know Butter butterfly lady says um there's a company that you can pay a fee and look up the person's name and you'll get all their credit information there's a bunch of co uh companies oh, yeah. like that butterfly lady and you know the, the police department um you know it's funny when you worked with the nypd because at least when i was on and you guys obviously you remember this too you know everybody had a code for something you know what I'm saying? So I used to, in my book, I'd have your code for this, Bill's code for that, my code, Mike's code for this. Right. And then later on, they came up with the, um, the real time you know, the crime down. center. Yeah. But in the meantime, you were just, you were using all these different codes. And then mm -hmm. if you needed Nextel, uh, well, Nexus, Lexus, whatever, you'd call up your boy down somewhere else that, you know, had a, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you run this? 
the auto crime yeah. boys. We had our auto crime. crime yeah, boys. you had you had people all over the place. My but you know what Mark's that- describing? Mark is describing that none of the computer programs were streamlined and interconnected no. with each other. No needed, way. You had cars, right, you had beds. You, you, had, right, you needed a code for each. Like, I remember the precinct CEO used to always say, is he a gang member? I don't know. Yeah. The gang database was down. You know, like he thought we could just press a button. And it spit yeah. out all the CompStat questions, you know? So I wanted to read out the Super Chat because Cheated No More wrote out a whole big thing. Um, it's just a, a question. It says, can't understand why the parents of these uh, kids are not smart enough to act like they really care. <laughs> that is bizarre. Dis- that is a bizarre disconnect in the first place. I agree. We all agree uh, on that. They showed no remorse. They showed no urgency. They showed no emotion. And that's the true sign of somebody who is not telling you the truth when they have a complete and total disconnect. And that's what we saw here. And that's why I feel like the press, they suck sometimes, but in some other instances, they're really good because they give us this preview, right? Of a line of bullshit uh, that we sometimes can't get. Cause when we ask someone to come in for questioning, they like lawyer up and then you're like, ah, you know, or whatever. They just don't want to cooperate. So yeah, that's this, a good point, Julie Rod. Yeah, this is a great aspect of the press. Even though the news sometimes, as we call it, will get the story out and sensationalize it, right? You'll give them something and they'll be like adding extra crap onto it. I remember seeing Rosanna Scotto, and now she's like a big wig in um, you know, over at Fox in, in, here in New York. But I she used to be a field reporter earlier in her days, and we had a shooting in Brownsville. I think I was a rookie. I was like 191 and 92. And, um, and she's out on the scene. And I knew a bit of the inner workings because in housing, when I was a housing cop, uh, in housing, our detectives were right in our PSA. So we would get the 411 from them exactly what was happening. and on. So I had the whole details of the shooting. And then I go home. I was working a day tour. I went home. And I see the news. I see her reporting. And it's a completely different story. It was not even anything close to what happened. You know, they just fabricated this nonsense. And that was back in 1991, 30 years ago. So they've gotten there, a lot like worse. They, they've there gotten better. Because uh, when you can't talk to somebody and they come out and do an interview like that, and you could see their body language. You could see all the things you talked to, we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's a valuable tool. Um, it's hard to lie under those, uh, you know, when you're doing something like that. You know what I'm saying? But I also think it's like a dis. I think it's really is a psychosis. There's a lot of the parents. Um, if you if you just do one of these, uh, in, you know, what they do, the FBI, the the profilers, these parents that either they get something happens with kids, and um, they just when you see them, they're disconnected. After the child's gone, we could see a history of it. The parents giving the interviews, and you know they did it but they're like, they're already done with it. Well, you know, duty Ron Irma brought up uh, yesterday that she thinks that all the other kids should be interviewed and absolutely a hundred percent. We don't know their ages though, but well, I watched them get walked out. There's a video that's available publicly um, on, of course, one of the news outlets. It showed um, the social workers or C, you know, whatever C, CPS or whatever, whatever they call them in California is a different name, different acronym for all these uh, folks, but they walked the kids out and they were all looked like they were five, six on un- and under young, little. Right. So they had a whole you know, group of six kids that are little. 
It's and, a burden, uh, man. It's a burden. Uh, raising my two kids, it was like that, that was enough. Like <laughs> I couldn't imagine having six in one you know, house. I don't, I don't know if um, uh, what at what age a child is swearable in a court of law. I'm sure it's older than five or six. Yeah. But I, I, we had a homicide one time uh, where a four-year-old witnessed the whole murder of his grandmother and her boyfriend. Oh. And basically was worthless as a witness, you know, just couldn't articulate what happened. Of course, was probably traumatized, but, you know, would bury that horrendous incident deep in her subconscious. And yeah. uh, that, that, that was the one I talked about the other day of uh, Carmen Quinones and Ruben Frederick they, uh, yeah. December 1st, Terrible 2001. Case. And the, the four-year-old granddaughter uh, was duct taped, duct taped by the perps. And one of the perps wanted to slit her throat. Jeez. And the other one talked him out of it. Terrible. So they allowed her to live. But she was, as far as a witness, she was uh, no use as a witness. Before we went live tonight, I looked very quick because I, I, I was running so tight in time. Uh, but before we went live, I did a quick refresh of this case. And um, there was messages in a Facebook chat room that uh, the, the mom and dad, the you know adoptive mom and dad, lawyered up. So I don't know if that's true, but that's common. You know, once they feel a little bit of a tightness around the neck uh, or a little bit being backed against the wall. Um, and, and, and also, too, somebody said that the, the father's family members, I don't know if it's his uncle or whatever, is one of the vice presidents of the NAACP. So. Well, you know, that that's the danger uh, from a police department of when to pull the trigger on the interrogation because if you mm -hmm. leave them out there too long they're going to lawyer up there's no yeah. doubt and even yeah. if they're not smart enough to lawyer up someone some lawyer is going to say you know something you need a lawyer Here, here's my card you know right because there's yeah. a lot of ambulance chases out there that will do that and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to advise them you need a lawyer and once they do that as you know the police can't right. speak to them any longer hey Bob, robert Mark, one, two, three. thank you mark i was just going to say that Robert one two three brings up a, a good point. Would the uh, Florida police be keeping a tab on these people in Florida? I mean, we've reached out to outside agencies uh, many a times and, and asked for assistance in just surveilling. Um, so that's a possibility, you know, um, right, Bill? I mean, if you don't have enough for an arrest, you know, uh, and, and you you, you want to just keep an eye on somebody, you know, we do. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, look at look at what's going to go on for the inauguration. This has taken us off of this, but I, I want to bring this up. NYPD is sending, um, I think, six intel uh, detectives, and they're deputizing them under federal law for the day, and they're going down to the uh, inauguration. Um, so NYPD is lending six of our police uh, detectives uh, and having them go down there to assist. And I had heard more them were, they were, more them were at cops. the Capitol rally <laughs> two weeks ago. Oh, I had heard they were sending 200 uniformed cops too. From oh, the really? Yeah, yeah I, I just heard about the, the, the detectives. So, yeah, maybe they are sending some of the you know ESU cops or whatever. I don't know. But they're sending a contingent down there. And um, I think it's crazy. They're suspending cops for being there. They have no proof that they were even in the Capitol. Yeah. Also, firemen. I mean, I was just trying to tie this into, you know, a cooperation amongst, you know, outside. Like, so if if the Florida, if the California authorities called down to Florida and said, hey, 
we got these two potentials. They could be, you know, this could, you know, boil it. Could you just keep an eye on them? Depending on what their resources are. I mean, they might not assign somebody to, to ghost them, but, you know, maybe just check up on them once a day or just see if they're there. I don't know. Yeah. No, they would, abs- they would absolutely do that. And police departments this is a big cooperate. Case. They cooperate yeah. with each other, you know. This is a this is little two little kids involved, so I'm sure that uh, there's been a phone. Hopefully, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's been a phone call, but yeah, it looks like there's almost still 100 people here. 93, at least my chat says. I yeah, we know. did good tonight, duty run, man. I can't tell you how much. Uh, you're a gentleman. Hey, That's man, it, you guys are fellow brothers in blue. I'm always ask Coleman next time you get off. You know, like when you get off of me, if you have time, call Johnny or text him. And ask him about me. I'm always about helping a fellow, you know, cop, and especially NYPD. You know, I'm always trying to do what I can. And I reached out to Bill. I mean, I watched your guys' show, and I was in the chat one day trying to communicate with you guys. I was like, "Do you guys even look at the effing chat? What's what's going on here?" <laughs> we weren't yeah, we, at the time, you know. No, we didn't know. <laughs> we got better. I'm trying, though, to make, right? I'm trying to make friends with these guys. We were They're like we were like country you. bumpkins on YouTube, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, you helped us out a lot, man. I can't, I can't say how much you helped. But us. you know, duty Ron, I also want to thank Mike Fabozzi. Oh yeah, uh, who uh, one of the best forensic guys in the country, and uh, with no notice at all, I called oh. him this afternoon, and he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll." I'll this come guy, on. hey, duty. If you don't know. Um, you know, Mike, he's in Silicon Valley. He's taking the time out. He's usually tanning at this time of the day. Yeah. He's a gentleman. But he's a gentleman. He's not count- only does he tan. Or if he's, not, if he's not tanning, he's counting his stacks of millions that he's made over No, there. no, so- Mark. Now he's counting his Bitcoin. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah, to go. well, I, I do have some Bitcoin. So, yeah, pretty good stuff. Mike, I'd love to have you come on uh, if these guys wouldn't mind sharing you with me uh, to, you know, maybe come on some of the tougher cases that I cover. Um, I'd, I'd love to have you, providing you have a good connection. If you don't, then I got no use for you. <laughs> yeah, this con- this connection now sounds great. What the it's hell perfect. happened? Better rock and roll. What did you do to get it to get better? Because it was awful in the beginning. Yeah. He probably well, has like like every other computer going back to Windows, uh, DOS, Windows ninety five. I remember. Reboot. You yeah. have to reboot. <laughs> that was a reboot, and that's all it took. Sometimes you got to clear out the cache. You know, Duty Rod, he was my professor in John Jay when I was in the master's program, and he was teaching a, a forensic computer course. And one night, he invited us to this party at this bar on Twenty First Street. I forget the name of that place. It's not open anymore. And and. Uh, he brings like six of his students, and you, you should have saw the face of the people that ran this party. They were not happy. <laughs> but we ate and drank OTA for the whole night, right? Nice. On the arm. I like that's it. Right, that's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, I guess we should be closing down now. To all the people that tuned in tonight, thank you so much. Um, you know, Duty Ron went out of his way. He's a true gentleman. Uh, if, you, if you donated money with the Super Chat, we really, we we uh, we appreciate it, man. We're trying to build up over here. We're trying to get our following. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, and Bill, we have a Patreon. Yeah, and- we also have a, a Patreon. www.patreon.com/slash/police-off-the-cuff, and we have three tiers. For seven dollars a month, you're the bucket. That's what we call you. For for nine dollars a month, you get to polish my rack. I have my rack of medals, and you can polish it. That's nine dollars a month, and for eleven, you can dip them in butter. We won't tell you what <laughs> what you're gonna dip in butter, but you can dip them in butter. Yeah, I don't have. I wish I had my coffee mug to show you. 
And to our uh, and to our fans um, who are new to Duty Ron, please check out his podcast on YouTube, and he's got amazing cases that he covers there. Um, tell us about the podcast, Duty. Well, it's a, it's a true crime YouTube channel. Uh, I started it just about a year ago. On the the end of this month will be uh, two years actually. So um, I started two years ago. Joey Brooklyn, who's in the chat, he was uh, somebody who recommended I try YouTube and. I did it. I tried it. And um, it, the, the response was good. Uh, everybody loves to hear from retired guys that have experience instead of getting a bunch of hogwash shoved down their throat from people that really don't know what's going on. So, um, hey, Pete Pranzo is in the chat. Good to see you, Pete. Yeah, he's uh, great. Pete's the can't man. Wait to have Pete, you on what guy, soon. What a guy, man. What yeah, I'm going to connect guy. with Pete and have him on. He's, uh, he's, he's got so many stories, boy. What a, what a career he had. Um, but yeah, so that's what, it's, that's what it is. It's like just talking about breaking news and cases and i break down a lot of the higher profile cases and just give a law enforcement perspective and that's what a lot of our viewers you got to remember mark they're not uh and mike and, and and bill the people who are watching us aren't the guys from the job i mean you will get scragglers guys from the job that will watch but the bulk of the audience here the 90 or 100 people uh that were in and watching have no law enforcement background they might have family in there so when they can get an inside scoop about how it goes, and of course we don't give up our trade secrets, but that's what it's about. So thank you for promoting that for me, and thank you for having me. I'm honored. And, and to be duty, here. Ron, thank you for that super chat you just hit us up with, man. That's uh, we really appreciate thank that. You. you know, and Mike Fabozzi, well, where can we find you, Mike Fabozzi? You know, Mark, but, but you know something, though, Mark, Mike Fabozzi's probably got more money than God living out there in Silicon Valley. Oh, man. He probably doesn't even use his... Uh, I, would literally, I would literally burn my money. He probably that, doesn't even is. use his pension. He probably he, just... He didn't, he probably give, super chat because, that. He, he didn't <laughs> give super chat because it doesn't. we don't accept Bitcoin. That's right, we don't accept Bitcoin. But <laughs> Mike Fabozzi probably gives his pension to the homeless. He's, you know, he's like Trump. He gives away his pension. And, and you know, something moving to the West Coast, he became a liberal, too. <laughs> Everybody's like... I, I'm gonna I'm gonna send some Ethereum to you or Ripple. <laughs> I mean, uh, X, uh, DX chain stuff. Wow! Take it all, man. Heidi, good to see you. Thank you for joining. She said, "I can't believe it's been two years with duty, Ron." All right, listen. My wife's giving me the eagle evil eye right now, so I got to get we going. Did it, man. We did you it, guys. It was thank you so episode. much, and thank you, uh, Bill Ryan from Ryan Investigations, and all of Duty Ron's fans that have subscribed to us and watched this this evening. We thank you so much. We appreciate if you follow. And Mike Fabozzi, you were a good professor at John Jay. And I, I'm going to visit you in California. I Me too. I you're all, you're gonna... all welcome. You can stay at my house. I have plenty of room. And Mike. we'll enjoy. I'll take you down the street to Mark Zuckerberg's house. Uh, I don't want to see book. Mark Zuckerberg. I'm sure, I'm sure you it's have a, a bungalow we could stay in. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mike. All Seriously, right. it's a pleasure. I'd, I'd love to have you on the channel. Thank you, man. All right, Thank ciao. you guys so much. Thanks, Good everybody. Good night, everyone. Thank you so much.